felt during prayer. I pray that this lesson would be a continuation of that spirit, God. Lord, that you would be with us tonight to lead me in word, God, to lead us in conversation, that the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost would be with us, God, that your purposes would be accomplished, God. We're not just coming to have just some meeting to say that we went to church on a Sunday night, but we came to meet with the Spirit of God. We came to hear what thus saith the Lord in our lives. I pray that you would help us to do that, God, that you would anoint me to speak and anoint us to hear, Lord. We want to please you above all things, God. Help us do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, you can be seated. I just want to read something really quick. It has nothing to do with the lesson. But in Zechariah chapter 8, and you have to excuse my voice. I think I'm getting sick. In Zechariah chapter 8, it says, this is the Lord speaking, it says, I am zealous for Zion with a great zeal, and with in great fervor I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, excuse me, Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the holy mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. The city or the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. And then verse 7 says, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Now, we have to realize this has already happened, except for the very first thing that he said. That's the millennial reign. I will return to Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. We're living in the end times. When this prophecy was uttered, people thought that this is a long ways off. There's a lot that has to happen before this can take place. Right now, there's boys and girls playing in the streets of Jerusalem. Right now, there's old men and old women living at peace in the city walls. Right now, right now, the last thing is for him to, to come down and his feet touch down on the Mount of Olives. And so the reason I wanted to read that is just to encourage us that it's high time for us to get a hold of aligning with the study, the foundation, the fundamentals of living for God. But it's high time for us to love the people of God, for us to be what God calls us to be and to overcome our flesh with the spirit of God. He could come back anytime, any moment he could come back. And, um, and so I just want to be ready for him, don't you? Amen. All right. So tonight we're going to talk about um, love. We, does anyone remember what we taught on this past, uh, I guess, last month, last class? So as to give you a hint, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. What we talked about, Pastor actually talked about this today as well, that Jesus' love language is uh, obedience. And so what we talked about is from the Old Testament to the New, there's always a covenant presented, and then the blessings of that covenant is always contingent on our actions. If you will obey, then I will X, Y, and Z. And so what we were talking about is what can we do to obey the new covenant? The old covenant was, I say easy, I'm hesitant to say easy, it was 613 commands, nothing's like easy about that, but it was black and white. 
This is what you eat. This is what you don't eat. This is how you pray. This is how you don't pray. This is when you do this. This is when you do that. This is whatever. So on and so forth. In the New Testament, it is a, a covenant, if we can call it this, of grace and love. It, it presents the church as the bride of Christ. And so it's a little bit more vague. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of black and white issues, but it's a little bit more vague. And so we talked about, um, I'm actually going to read them. We talked about ten commands, and I had nine, and Pastor added the, the last one, which was uh, to walk in meekness, I believe it was, Pastor. And um, no, that's not there. I'm just going to read these ten briefly. So the command to fellowship and community. And these, these commands, we have to realize, they, they empower us, I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, to walk in the overflow blessings of the Lord. What everybody wants. Everybody wants that. Everyone wants to be the head and not the tail. Everyone wants to be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Everybody wants to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in high places, like Ephesians says. Everybody wants these things, but the truth of the matter is, it's, it's to the obedient that those promises are made. Amen. So the command for, to fellowship and community... Uh, the command to make disciples, the command to be thankful and have gratitude. We're going to touch on that today. Uh, the command to give, to be a giver. The command to love, that's where we're at today. Command to rest. Command to take care of your body, your temple. Uh, the command to bridle the tongue. The command to walk in faith and intentionally reject fear. That's a big one. And then the one pastor added, which I'm glad that he did, meekness and humility. And so for the next 10 months, I'm teaching one of these a month, we're going to go over those individually and do a deep dive on them. Um, because I remember, I'll never forget, Pastor said that uh, the deep things of God are found in, in the simplicity of the word. Is that right? Yeah. And so that resonates with me so much, and it's so true. Um, if you just are diligent about the fundamentals, um, God can use you for the great and mighty things. And so we're going to break these down. Um, so of the 10 that I just read, biblically, one takes precedent. Does anyone have a guess what that, which one that is? Love. Love takes precedent over anything I said in those 10 and over anything else. And we're going to talk about that tonight. And so there's a reason that I chose love to do first. I'll lower this a little bit. All right, turn with me to Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, and we will read to 40. Wouldn't it be nice to ask Jesus himself, if he walked in the room, and we said, Jesus, you know, there's so many things that I, I, I believe that you've called me to do. You know, I need to fast, I need to pray, I need to read the Bible, I need to do all these things. And would you just tell me, what's the one thing? What is the one thing that I need you to focus on, Lord? Wouldn't that be nice to get that answer? Well, it's, it's right here, well, what I just said, Matthew twenty two thirty six. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Somebody came to him and asked him this. Jesus said to him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, love, or thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. So he's saying everything else that's commanded of you, everything else that God expects of you is hung on this fundamental foundational command to love God first and then to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Amen? 
So I want to talk about endeavoring to walk in love tonight. Jesus said, we just read it, black and white, that this is the greatest thing that we can do. Now, when talking about love, I started to get this lesson ready, and I thought, man, where do I start? I mean, the whole 66 books of the Bible is just a a love, uh, you know, essentially books of love. It's about God's love to us and him coming and saving us from our sin, and and it's a love letter. And so there's so many different places you could go with love, but I boiled it down to three, I think, are, are pretty distinct sort of subtopics of love. One is to love God. Second, what do you guys think? Love the neighbor, okay. And then what's the third, do you think? This one's a little bit tricky. Uh, to love um, people in the world, love your enemy. Do good to those that spitefully use you. And so we're talking about loving God, uh, loving your enemy, and loving the people of God. That's when, when Jesus said, love your neighbor. Um, I personally, pastor may disagree if he does, I'm wrong, but I personally believe that this is talking about the law. When the law said love your neighbor, it's talking about loving your fellow Jew. And for the church, that's saying love the fellow, you know, the church, love the people of God, the people that are in AWC, the people that are in the church uh, internationally, to love them. And so out of those three, what I'm talking about tonight specifically, I want to be clear about this, is loving the people of God. This is where we're going to dig tonight, and I want us to, to really... Um, first of all, realize what we're talking about and um, really dig in on this. Because there's some scriptures that have to do with this topic that are resolute. I mean, there, and we're going to get right into them. Matter of fact, we could do that. First John 3, chapter 20 through 23. John's first epistle. He reiterates this preferred commandment. I mean, Jesus just says, this is the greatest commandment. There's, there's 613. A man comes to him and says, what's the greatest? And he says, this is the greatest. And the second's like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so John reiterates this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. That sounds a lot like John 14, doesn't it? And this is his commandment. This is amazing. He's saying this is his commandment. In John 14, when he says, if you love me, obey my commands, he said, this is the commandment right here. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as he commanded us. So this ties, and I'm not going to go into it because that's, We already did that last month, but this is apostolic commentary on the gospel of John, chapter 14. He is telling you what Jesus said, and then he's telling you the revelation. I mean, he's writing by the Spirit of God saying this is what he meant by that. And if you remember, right before it, Jesus says anything you do or anything you ask, excuse me, um, will be given to you. And then right after that, if you love me, obey my commands, and I'll send the promise of the Father goes into the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And what we talked about was saying that that is a blessing of the new covenant, And you can't not express your love to him through obedience and say anything I ask in the name of Jesus I'm going to receive. It's a misnomer. You can't do that. And so what John is affirming right here is exactly that. He's saying whatever we ask we receive from him, why? Because we keep his commandments. And then John keeps it very plain. John's straightforward. I like John. He he speaks my language. Same with Peter. They're just like, this is what I'm thinking, and in two sentences I'm going to let you know the fullness of it. Paul is like, Seven chapters later, you're like, oh, he's still talking about the thing in chapter 1. We're in chapter 9. Like, this is like a marathon. 
Um, but he says, and this is his commandment. This is what he meant when he said that, to believe on him and to love one another, to love the people of God. And you can see this all over John's epistles. Anyone familiar with 1 John? It's okay if you're not. I kind of had a refresher recently, obviously, getting this ready. If you read, this should be your homework. It's like five chapters, I think, Pastor. Is it six? I think, I think it's five. All he's talking about is love. That's all he's talking about the whole time. Love each other, love each other, love each other. He's saying if you don't love your brother who you see, how could you love God who you don't see? I mean, John is not holding any punches. He's saying love is the primary thing, and if there's one thing you need to get, it's love. And so I'm going to talk about it repeatedly over and over. And I actually found an interesting story that historians say that the Apostle John would be carried to the church, I believe, in Ephesus before he went to Patmos. He'd be, he'd be carried in his old age to the pulpit. Excuse me, this must be after. But regardless, he was so weak and old that he had to be carried into the pulpit. And day after day, the sermon that he would preach, anyone have a guess? He would say, little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. Every single day, he'd come in there, he'd, he'd preach about love. He'd preach about loving your neighbor. He'd preach about preferring your brother or your sister's needs above yourself repeatedly over and over and over. Imagine if every time pastor preached, he preached that for two years straight. It'd get a little exhausting, wouldn't it? But would you get the picture? And the story says that when they asked him, why do you keep repeating yourself? We understand you said this over and over. And he said, because it is the commandment of the Lord and the observation of it is enough. That's how the story goes. Now, if that's true, I don't know, but reading his epistle, um, I could see that if that would be true. I could see that being true. He had an absolute, undeniable revelation of the love of God. And in his, in his um, gospel, in John, what does he call himself? Anybody? What does John call himself in the, the gospel of John? Yeah, the beloved disciple. Anytime he talks about John, it's the beloved disciple. John had a revelation of love. He knew, that Jesus, he, he knew and had a revelation of Jesus' love for him and of our need to love each other. And so let's turn, if you have your Bibles with me, uh, or with you, excuse me, turn to John 13, 34, and 35. And I know that when I teach, there's a ton of scriptures, but this is one to mark, highlight, if nothing, no other scripture, John 13, verse 34 and 35. So before we read it, does everyone have that? Say amen if you're there. All right. So context is essential here. Before I read this scripture, I want us to have the proper context. Jesus and the disciples just sat down in the upper room. This is during the Passion Week. They just came to the upper room. First he sent them to find the donkey, do the triumphal entry. Um, then he, found, he sent them to find the upper room, which they did. And now he is in the upper room with his disciples. Jesus stoops down and begins to wash their feet. And, you know, Peter's saying, no, 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 you can't do that. He says, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part of me. He says, Lord, then wash my whole, you know, body. And he says, you know, the feet are enough. Jesus is teaching them a lesson about serving right there. If God in the flesh will stoop down and wash the filth off their feet, he's saying nothing should be off limits for you. This is what love looks like. This is what love, love is not an ethereal state of mind. Love is what you do. Uh, love is an action. And that's, that's why uh, I just want to say real quick, John 3, 16, that God so loved the world, what? He gave. He did something. The love compelled him to do something. 
We live in a world where, you know, we'll say I love you and then that person has a need and we're not willing to fill it. Not, I'm not saying this church, but just the world in general. Love is a very kind of wishy-washy term. In the Old Testament times, when we talk about love, I'm not going into the different Greek words, but agape, this is a love of God, it always insinuates an action. It is the first time it's used in Genesis chapter 22, whenever uh, God tells Abraham to sacrifice your son whom you love. That's the first time the word's used. It's always affiliated with sacrifice and with doing and with, okay, yes, God, I love you, so here's how I'm going to show it. This is what I'm doing. And then God says in response, I love you, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to give. Amen. And so love always has to do with giving. But that, that's what we see here. He bends down. He's washing their feet. Um, they're in the upper room. Jesus reveals that one of the 12 is going to betray him. Imagine the tension in this room. These are the 12 people with him. And, and the Pharisees and, and the, the Romans are hot on his heels. They want him dead. They've tried to kill him multiple times. He keeps passing through the midst of them. And now he says, one of you guys is actually going to be the one to betray me. And then once he says that, the one who, who he loves, John, um, is able to find out who it is. And he, he says, it's the one when I dip and hand it to him. He hands it to Judas, and, and the spirit of the enemy enters into Judas, and Judas leaves to go betray him. Now, this is the context. You can read it yourself. This is the specific context in what I'm about to read, verse 34 and 35. Jesus opens his mouth in this tension, in this atmosphere, knowing his time's short, and he speaks something profound. A new commandment I give unto you. I mean, this is, imagine how, how they're listening right now. Everything that just unfolded, and he says, I'm giving you a new commandment right now. That you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And they know that he's about to go shed his blood on Calvary. They know uh, what he has said and what, what, you know, he said his face is flint upon Jerusalem. He's on a mission and he's here to save the world. And, and they know, and now he's saying, now this same love that you have seen carried out the last three years, now I want you to turn to one another and love each other like that. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Now, this left an internal impression on the disciples. You can feel it in their writings. I already mentioned in 1 John. All he's talking about is love. They, they, un, they got it. They understood it. And, and whenever I was getting this ready, I thought, and now if this is from the Lord or not, I'm not going to say one way or the other, but I just had this thought that, you know, if you, God forbid, knew that you had to leave your child, your children, and they were of age to understand a commandment, understand, What's the last bit of information you would give them? What's the last thing you would say to them before you left? Now, we don't have to answer that question, um, but surely it would be the most important and success-assuring advice you could possibly give to them. If you knew you were about to leave them, I'm not going to be able to raise you anymore. I'm not going to be able to teach you anymore. I'm not going to be able to, to, to walk through the storms of life with you. I'm not going to be doing any of these things, but I want to tell you this one thing, of course it's going to be the one thing that I would expect to carry them through the, all their days and to live a successful life before God and before man. And that's exactly what this was. The Bible repeatedly tells us uh, the, the most important thing we could do is love each other over and over and over and over. And you may get sick of me saying it tonight, and I'm not going to stop saying it because that's what the Bible says. 
the most important thing you could do, the most important thing you could possibly do. Is it prophesying? No, it's not. Is it having faith that moves mountains? No, it's not. Is it, is it going out and evangelizing the nations? No, it's not. Is it giving your body to be burned uh, like a, uh, as a martyr? No, it's not. It's to love the church. It's as simple as that. And so when Jesus says, I'm giving you a new command, I believe that encapsulated in obedience to this command was everything the church needs. You just focus on, on loving each other fervently. And everything I've spoken to you will be a natural overflow, a natural byproduct of this. And that's why we see in the book of Acts the church catching fire and, and changing the world. They had all things in common. They didn't withhold anything from, from one another. Let's read it real quick in Acts chapter 2. It's at the end of chapter 2. I don't know the exact verse. Acts chapter 2. 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through them. Now all who believed, that's the whole church, that's the disciples included, were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now I believe this is tied to, to unity, the power of unity, and we're going to get into that. And that's what love produces, is unity, where the Spirit of God can flow. But God showed me something as I was reading this this morning, actually. There's the word division there. And he says that they, that they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as everyone had need. They, they took their goods and they, they divided it and they gave some to everybody that, that had need. And, it, and the, the Holy Ghost reminded me of the scripture where it says, You cannot serve both God and money, or both God and possessions. And I felt like God was, was telling me that you will either be willing to divide your money and divide your possessions for the kingdom of God, or you're going to be a source of division in the church. You're going to be one that, that causes division. And we can see right there that they were willing to sell their possessions. Now, I'm not saying we need to sell everything. Um, but what I'm saying is, is, is in, in the book of James, he says you shouldn't tell your brother or sister, now go away and be filled, and, and you have in your possession what they need. You should give it to them. You should provide for them. Amen. Excuse me. Now I want to shift to 1 Corinthians 13. I can't, um, I can't talk about love without talking about this. So Paul wasn't present in the upper room when the new uh, commandment was given. But his, his writings clearly show that he got it. Paul understood the love of God. He understood it maybe better than anybody. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now there's, there's some commentary out there that says in that city in Corinth, there was a temple to a goddess. And when the heathen would go and worship this goddess, they would, they would ring this cymbal or this gong. And, and so, so Paul's taking something from their environment. He's bringing it in and, and showing them the, essential, the, the importance of love. If you think about that, that is extremely powerful. Um, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, then I am what? Nothing. 
He says, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, it's important for us not to be calloused to scriptures like this because you have to hear what he is saying there. Um, he's, he's not saying everything else is not essential, obviously, because in chapter 12, he expounds on the gifts. But um, there's a certain framework that he gives this scripture, and we're going to talk about that. But the most foundational command to get a hold of, what's the name of this class? Foundations. Foundations. The most foundational command to get a hold of is heeding the call to love. It's the most foundational, period. Undisputed. This is it. Whenever you, you believe on Christ and you're baptized in his name and you're filled with the Holy Ghost, there's one thing you should focus on above all else, and that is to love the people of God. So in context, this scripture's uh, bracketed kind of by two verses, and then it's followed by a command. So we're going to talk about those. There's, there's a bracket in the front of it. Then he gives what he just said, then there's a bracket at the end of it, and then it's followed by a commandment. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read those three first, then we're going to expound on them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. This is the first where he, he leads into the love chapter. But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet, of course, he just went over the spiritual gifts. And yet I show... And yet show I unto you, excuse me, a more excellent way. And then he says exactly what I just read. And then 1 Corinthians uh, 13 and 13. So we got 12, 31, the end of chapter 12, the end of 13, and then the first verse in 14. Uh, 13 and 13. Now abides faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. 1 Corinthians, ugh. 1 Corinthians 14 and 1. I'm having a hard time talking and breathing, and that's really difficult when you're speaking publicly. It's not conducive. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 and 1. Follow after love. Very straightforward. Follow after love. So as I said, I'm going to expand on each one of those. 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 31, and then through what we read, 13, 1 through 3. He's talking about a more excellent way. He just talked about all the gifts. He says, but, but uh, to covet the gifts, covet the best gifts, yet I show you a more excellent way. And who knows what the best gift is? This is a, a Bible trivia question. What's the best gift? He tells you to covet after them. Which one should I covet above all others? You can't ask me. Prophecy. To prophesy. He says that in chapter 14. He says, after he says love is number one, he says focus on that you would be able to prophesy. Um, so after discussing all these giftings, he begins to show the framework that they must, must work in. He says that love is the more excellent way. I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Then he goes into love. He says, now, and this is so powerful. He just talks about speaking in tongues. He talks about miracles. He talks about the gift of faith. He talks about all those things. And then the next chapter, he says, now, even if you're operating in these things, but your motive's impure, but you're not loving, um, then you're, then it's nothing. It's for nothing. The whole purpose of this is that it comes from a place of love and that you would love the people of God and that those giftings would be an overflow out of that. And I believe what he is saying there, um, not that those, and I already said this, not that those are not important, but that love has to be the motive behind our spiritual endeavors. 
And if love's not the motive, you have to, you have to ask yourself, what is the motive? Has anyone ever asked themselves that question? You, have you asked yourself, what's my motive? Maybe you feel like you're called to preach, called to missions, called to youth ministry, called to whatever. Has God ever asked you, okay, why? Why do you want to do it? What's the purpose? What is, is it? And you got to be honest with God. I mean, he already knows. It's not like he's needing this information. He's asking you to, to examine your own motives. And according to the Bible, if the motive's anything other than a place of love, um, then, then you need to, to find an altar and get that right before the Lord so that he can move through you as he wants to. I mean, pastor said something profound today, um, and that was that all of us at our cores, our motive should be to please God. Raise your hand if that's your motive. I just want to please God. I just want to please God. How I, how I conduct myself at my home, at my workplace, in the church, whether I'm behind the pulpit or sitting, sitting down, hearing pastor preach the word, I just want to please him. And, and, and the most pure way to do that is, is to love others, um, just as it, as it talks about in 1 John. Amen. So that's the first bracket. He says it's the more excellent way. And so now we're going to the second bracket in chapter 13, verse 13. Now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, as apostolics, do we think, do we think faith is important? It, we better think that. In Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, it talks about uh, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we know faith is important. You have faith and you have fear. And if you're going to walk in faith, then you can see the, the miraculous. You can see God do what he wants to do. But if you're not willing to walk in faith, um, then you're going to find yourself in defeat. We see this principle all throughout the Bible. And so it, it, he shows this as one of the fundamentals. Now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. So we're well aware of faith. What about hope? Hope seems a little bit vague. Does anybody want to be brave and tell me what hope means biblically? He's saying faith, hope, and love abide. What, is, what does he mean by hope? Is that like, you know, God said this, so I, I just really hope it happens. And a surety that it's going to happen. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Did everyone hear that? She said it's not as the world almost insinuates like a doubt. Uh, I hope this happens. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I hope. We'll see. Whatever. But the Bible talks about, she said, an assurance, like an assurity. It's going to happen. And, and when you look at, at, the, uh, at the Greek of that word, one word pops out that you can, it's synonymous and it's expectancy. And so it's like a time-released faith. It's like I've got faith in that burning uh, mountain, or burning, mountain burn, burning bush experience on the mountain. And, and so that, that's a fleeting moment. How many have had God speak something to you up here at these altars and realized in time past, that's a fleeting moment. I mean, that comes and goes. That emotion hits you, and then it's gone. And the question is, what are you going to do with what he just told you? Or, you know, is that faith, what's that faith going to produce? And according to the scriptures, he wants it to produce an expectancy. In Hebrews, it talks about uh, hope being the anchor of the soul. That expectancy is the anchor of our soul. When the, when the waves of life and the storms of life hit you and are throwing you all over the place, you're anchored by a hope 
and an expectancy in the word of God to be made manifest. It doesn't matter what the devil's saying. It doesn't matter what the situation says. It doesn't matter what you say. It, nothing matters except for what God told me, and I'm, therefore I'm expecting that to come to pass. Amen. So that's faith and hope. This is obvious that these are important, isn't it? It's extremely important and it's very obvious. But then the last one he says is love. And then he says, okay, so now we understand the three. I mean, this is at the end of the love chapter. So, so we've got faith, hope, and love. And then just to be extremely clear, he says, now the greatest of these three is love. More than faith, which the Bible says without faith you can't please God. So obviously it's kind of important. And expectancy to receive the promises of God. He says the greatest of these is love. And so the question is, as apostolics, we understand faith, we understand love, and, or excuse me, and hope. Um, but what about love? I mean, and I'm stepping on my own toes. I say that every time I'm up here. Um, you know, I feel like if you're preaching right, you're going to step on your own toes every once in a while. So the word of God challenges us. But, you know, what do we do to embrace love? Or, or excuse me, I keep saying that. That's where I'm going. What do we do to embrace faith? You know, there's, there's many things you can do. You can pray, you can listen to sermons, you can prophesy and use your words and speak the promises, remind God of his promises. But the fact, the, the point I'm trying to point out is that we're intentional about it. We, we understand, okay, God, you need me to have faith. It's a spiritual law. I have to have it to walk on the waters of this life. So therefore, my actions are going to support that insight that you gave me through your word. And so we're very intentional about it. Same thing with expectancy. It's very closely tied to faith. We're prophesying. We're expecting the promises of God. And if, and if our emotions disagree with it, then maybe we speak out loud the promises of God. And we're reading the word and we're expecting it. And we're proclaiming it. We're entering our name into promises in the word, whatever. Uh, but what about love? Are we, are we intentional about love? Because what Paul just said is it's the greatest. It's better than both of those. This, is the, this takes precedent. This one is exalted above those. And so if, if I am prophesying and I'm embracing faith and I'm embracing expectancy obviously these things are good but love is off my radar I'm not I'm not trying to think how can I show love to somebody am I loving like I'm supposed to um, and I'm not questioning myself in that then then really we're missing something big here because he just said it's the more excellent way and inside of the giftings and now he's saying uh, that that it's preferred that it's the greatest of those three all right, so this leads us to the command, 1 Corinthians 14. This is all within, like, you know, a few verses. 1 Corinthians 14 and 1. Follow after love. This is how he starts off the, the this is the chapter where he talks about uh, to prefer prophesying. He talks about them speaking in tongues and, and interpretation and how to do it and let all things be done decently and in order. This is that chapter. It starts off with him saying, follow after love. And so if you look at follow there, in the Greek, it means to chase after something you lack. So you, you chase after it. You chase after love. You follow after it. And so I want, this is a question I want you guys to engage here. Um, so God wants us to be more intentional to embrace uh, love. And so the, the question that I have is, how can we be intentional to embrace love? I mean, many times I feel like I've been guilty of this preaching the revelation, what we need to do and what it will produce. But the question is, how do you do it? And it's like, I hear you. I believe you. I understand it's in the Bible, but how do I do it? So what do you guys think? How can we be intentional to love? 
I find my, I find when I have a hard time loving, it's because something's not clean inside of me, and um, I need to spend time with the Lord. When you're really spending time with the Lord in personal relationship, it's easy to love, very. That's true, and that's actually getting into the next uh, and last part of this. Um, does anyone else have anything? giving of yourself you know to show your love with somebody even if somebody you don't really know you just give of yourself you pay attention to their needs their wants and you know just what's going on in their life and no matter if it lines up with what you are trying to do you're giving of yourself to help them out to be in commune with them fellowship and that ties back to 316, that love of God gives. Amen. So I love that. Yeah. Anybody else? It'd be nice if we had three. It's a good number. Um, I would say uh, what I actually would say would be expounding on what Michael said would be outreach, um, going out and seeing what the community needs and seeing where you can give yourself and how you can help and how you can love your brothers and bring them to Christ through your actions of love and helping them. That's good. So outreach, having a, a communal presence. Uh, anybody else there? Were you going to say something? I was going to add what Michael said, giving of yourself, but especially when you don't feel like it. When you know there's a need and maybe someone came to you and you can fulfill that need, but your flesh doesn't feel like it in that moment. Um, when we choose to do that anyways, we're choosing to love. Amen. I heard something the other day that really challenged me. And it said, sometimes you learn by the opposite. What is the opposite of love? I think most of us, like myself, you think of hate. But this man said it's not hate, it's indifference. It's when you don't care. So when we walk through the world, we just don't care about what's happening with other people. We're not loving them. It's the caring that really, I think, is at the core of it. Just like kind of like what you said, Michael. Amen. So I want to turn to, well, if you're already there, First Corinthians still. But um, sort of a checklist to check and see if you're being intentional. Uh, what prophesying is to faith um, this could be considered this uh, for love, among other things, obviously. But but we're given a checklist in 1 Corinthians. And I heard, yeah, it starts verse 4. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. And we'll go to just 7. So what you can do is put your name everywhere it says love. And see where you just can't read anymore. And at that point... <laughs> Start focusing on what you just read. And I'm not going to dare put my name in here, but I'm just going to read what it says in the scriptures. Um, love suffers long, or it's patient, and it's kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails. 
So that is a great way if you can go back and, and check yourself, say weekly, whatever, daily, weekly, monthly. But that's the checklist right there. Paul's defining love. If you can go in there and say, okay, where am I deviating from this? Because how many of you know the flesh is self-seeking? The flesh is selfish. It's not just my flesh. Don't you all be lying. The flesh is very selfish, not interested in loving. The flesh is like, no, I love me. And that's, that's, that's all the love I need. And, and the Bible compels us away from that because there's nothing but death in that. That, that. that leads to a broken place because God created us to love him first and foremost. And then out of an overflow of our love and communion with him, like Valerie said, to outreach and to show his love to a broken world. All right, so let's go to Colossians 3, 12 through uh, 17, really. I'm going to break it into two pieces. So Colossians 3, 12 through 14, Pastor, will you read that? Put on, therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Above all, do these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectedness. Amen. So that ought to step on some people's toes. It says, if anyone has a complaint against another, after listing all the fruits of the Spirit, it says, forgiving each other as the Lord forgave you. Has the Lord ever forgiven anybody? Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but are, are you holding some resentment against somebody right now? You should really check that and do your best. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it takes multiple times. Um, but God's about unity. God is absolutely about unity. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, he said something striking to those Jews. He said, um, if, if any of you comes to the temple to offer a gift to God, this is the most noble thing they could do in the Old Testament. They're, they're going to offer a gift to God. And he says, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Say there's something between me and Michael. I remember there that I have something against Michael or he has something against me. It's my fault or it's his fault. It's irrelevant. Scripture is intentionally vague on that. Just if there's something there. He says, leave your gift at the altar. Go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come back and, accept and, and um, present that gift to God in the temple. Now that is profound because this is the highest service uh, to go to Jerusalem, go to the temple and to offer a gift to God out of my own family's substance and go give to God according to what Torah commands. And Jesus said, I'm raising the bar. I want you, as God loves you and has sacrificed for you, I'm telling you that you need to do that for your brother and your sister. And he wants to see us in unity. And there is a spiritual principle that we're going to talk about briefly. I've got five minutes till seven, but I didn't start late. I didn't start till a little bit later, so I'm going to take a little bit. Um, but Paul gives us answers. So, and I'm going to finish here that, again, Paul says, above all these, above what's all these, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfection. Now, Paul, and, and Pastor, I'm going to ask you to read 15 through 17. Paul then goes on to answer how to put on love. Remember I said that many times we can preach and, and I can preach and not say how to. How do I do this? What am I supposed to do? 
And, and so Paul answers here, in my opinion, how to put on love. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you rich, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with a thankfulness in your heart towards God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So did you guys catch that? What's the one thing that kept coming up? We're talking two verses. What kept coming up? I guess three verses. If you were listening, it was thankfulness. He says three times. First of all, he says, he talks about peace and thankfulness. But he tells them three different times. He reminds them, you're called in one body and, and, and to put on love. And then he says, be thankful. And then he says, uh, teach each other, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, what? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so what I believe, first of all, can we admit, and I think we already have, 1 Corinthians 13 is not easy. It is not easy to be loved. Why? Because we have this rotten flesh. Every one of us has it, unfortunately. And it's not easy. But I believe this gives us an insight uh, to how we can walk in love more naturally and more consistently. What that insight is, is that if we focus on obtaining gratitude, being thankful, uh, walking in thanksgiving, that it will be a catalyst for us to love as the Bible commands. Now, another thing that's not easy is, is gratitude. You, uh, for some people, it's easier than others. Um, I had a friend in college that he used to tell me... Um, Every day, man, he's like, I'm just so thankful that, man, I, I, my legs work. I could get out of bed today, and I got to eat a meal today, and I'm so thankful I, I can breathe without any problems. Not something I can say today. But just like the basic things that all of us have or, or most have, he's so thankful for them. And, and he was like for real thankful for them. And he was not apostolic, Holy Ghost filled. He just had like sort of a somewhat relationship with God, but he was just so thankful. And you know what? He was the most, like, had a magnetic personality. People just wanted to be around him. People wanted to hear what he had to say. And, and he, he truly had a love about him. And I'm telling you, if you can walk in thanksgiving, and I'm not, not going to talk about this today because the next class I'm pretty sure is going to be on gratitude and thanksgiving. But if we can walk in that, sincerely walk in it, um, I believe that it will be easier, easier for us to love. And, you know, if I'm so thankful... That, I mean, I'm just, you know, you have those days, is it easier for some people on some days to be thankful than others, or is that just me? Some days I'm just like, man, I'm just so thankful for God. And I get into prayer and, like, the Holy Ghost is moving. I'm just talking about everything I'm just thanking him for. Um, some days it's a little bit harder, but on those days that I'm walking in thanksgiving, um, you know, it doesn't matter if somebody cuts me off in the car. It doesn't matter if somebody gives me a bad look at work. None of this matters. I don't care. Why? Because... The level of gratitude in my heart is greater than whatever this, this carnal conflict is. It's irrelevant because I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful what God's done in my life. I'm so thankful for the blessings. I'm so thankful for his promises. I'm so thankful for my family, etc. And so if, if we would walk in this thanksgiving, it would help us to not be petty. You know, the flesh is really petty. 
And, um, and I believe that this is what Paul is saying. He's telling them above all these, these things, put on love. And then he tells them, be thankful with thanksgiving in your heart. Give thanks to God in everything you do in word or deed. He's like telling them how to do it. Be thankful. Embrace thanksgiving. Amen. So and then he also says a peaceful heart. Notice how love produces a peaceful heart. So Paul follows uh, the command of love with gratitude and peace. And the scriptures actually teach us that peace uh, produces unity. In Ephesians 4, uh, verse 3, I'm aware of the time. We're, we're moving here. Stay with me, please. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, teaches us that peace produces unity. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, this is what love is all about, uh, producing a unified body where the spirit and power of God can flow. This is what we're talking about tonight, loving our brothers and our sisters. And so I'm going to have to cut some stuff out because I can tell I'm losing some of you. I know how it is. We lost an hour of sleep last night. Um, I got started late, so I, I got you. So we're going to come back to Ephesians 4. So mark that. We're actually going to close there. So I'm just going to summarize. So, and, and I'm going to talk about unity, the importance of unity here briefly, because this is what loving one another inevitably, inevitably leads to, um, is unity. So here's why unity is important. So in Genesis chapter 11, we see the Tower of Babel being built. Does everyone know the story of, of Babel? And in Genesis chapter 11, verse uh, 4 and 6, starts in chapter 9, they just got off the ark, and, and God gives them one commandment. He tells them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So I guess there's a couple there, but it's pretty basic, a lot, lot less than 613. He tells them, be fruitful, multiply, and you go fill the earth. And so we see in Genesis chapter 11 a, a rebellious group that's gathered together in direct disobedience. They understood what God told them to do through Noah. And they said in verse uh, 4, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. This is a spiritual endeavor that's counter to God. It's satanic. And let us make a name for ourselves. There's arrogance and pride. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, so these people are saying, unless we, God forbid, obey what God said, we have to come here and establish our own religion. I mean, this isn't just some, like, this is a very intentional story. They, they're building a tower into the heavens. And they're saying, lest we uh, be spread abroad to all the earth, we're going to stay here and we're going to build this. They're in absolute, if there could be no higher level of rebellion in them uh, than at that moment. This is a satanic endeavor. And if you read commentaries on this, there is a ton there. But I'm not going to go into that. But now, look at the power of unity in a group of people that are essentially spitting in the face of God. Verse 6, the Lord said, behold, they're one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Why? Because they're one people, because they're in unity, saying now anything they put their mind to, they're going to do it, because they're all together, and they're on one mind and one accord. So what does that say about the church? People that are gathered together in submission to God, obeying him as best we know how. If we could love each other and be bound together in that love, what does that say about the church? There's no revival that would be withheld from us. 
He's telling them, apart from God, just the unity alone, nothing is going to be impossible for these people. i got to split them up. And there's a tie here to Acts chapter 2 because the first time that, that unknown tongues is given by utterance of the Spirit is not Acts 2. It's right here. He, he gives them tongues, and this tongues is unto division. He gave them all different languages, and all of a sudden they start splitting. But in Acts chapter 2, tongues is given again for the opposite reason. One was to division, the other one's to bring in and unify so that we all have a common tongue, a common language. There's, this is a very deep subject right here. Um, but I just want this to show that the reward of unity is, is incredible. I mean, it's through this unity that all the promises that, that God's spoken to pastor and over this church, they're going to come to pass through unity. When we individually decide to love one another and, and we're bound together in unity. Psalm 133, 1 through 3 says, How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on his garments. Uh, it is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And so what this is teaching us is that with unity comes anointing. And I'm trying to rush through this, guys, but please hear me on this. This is so important. Unity is not one of the ten that we're going to be talking about, so I had to squeeze this in. With unity comes anointing. Somebody say that. With unity comes anointing. That's what he's saying. He's saying how good it is when brethren go together in unity. He says it is like. You can put an equal sign. And then he shows whenever Aaron, the high priest of the Old Testament, was, was anointed with oil. He said it's like that. That's what unity's like. It's the church being anointed when we come together in love. So what is anointing? This is a fundamental question, and, I'm, and this is a rhetorical question because we're low on time. But my definition for anointing is when the Spirit empowers us to do something that we cannot do without it. When the anointing of God comes on you, you are now equipped to do something that you have no business doing apart from it. And so... When, when we are in unity, God sends that kind of anointing. We begin as a body doing things, preaching, outreaching, uh, the gifts of the spirit functioning, doing things that we have no business doing apart from it. But God's saying you're in unity. You're loving as I've called you to, or at least you're endeavoring for it. And so I'm going to send these gifts. I'm going to send this power. I'm going to send this revival into your midst as a response to that unity. And that's the only way. That is the only way. And in Acts 2, again, it I believe it's intentional showing that it starts with it started with unity. They were together, one mind, one accord, and then there's an explosion that happens. In the end days, it's going to be the exact same way. Leviticus 26 and 8. And five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. There is something powerful when we come together in unity. It shows right there. Five chase a hundred, ten chase ten thousand. There is a multiplication of the power of God that flows through the church when we are in unity. It's all over the Bible. Now, I'm going to say one more thing. Ephesians 3.20, and then we'll be done. So, Paul understood this revelation uh, about unity producing power. If you go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. First of all, in, in 2.22, he says, In whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit and then 320 says now to him he's exalting the power of God here now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think he's saying God's so powerful your mind can't even comprehend what he can do 
according to the power that works in us. Notice the power that we can't comprehend. He's saying according to the power that's in you. It's in the church. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now verse 4-1. This is a continuous thought here. He says, I therefore, according to what I just said, exalting the power of God. He said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. What's that look like? With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another, how? In love. Endeavoring, so why? Why is he having us do this? He just exalted the power of God and then he compels them to love each other, forgive one another. So why? Endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so that is this revelation that I'm just now talking about. He's saying that the, the mighty God, the mighty power of God is at work in you. It's in the church. And so that power is hindered when there's divisions in the church. And so he's telling them, you've got to love each other. You've got to forgive each other. You've got to put differences aside because it's all to endeavor to keep unity. Because it's through unity that his power is loosed in the fullness. And that's exactly, again, what we see in Acts chapter 2. And so we can go ahead and stand. What's the most important thing God wants us to do? Love one another. Amen. So 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8. How many of you believe that this could potentially be the end times? It's come moving up on us pretty quick. I just, I opened with, coincidentally, I opened with uh, the prophecy about Jerusalem. Everything's done except for Jesus being there uh, physically, which is so exciting. I mean, he's going to be King Jesus over the entire earth, reigning in Jerusalem. There's going to be a temple there, and he's going to be sitting physically on that throne. And there's going to be babies born to that millennial reign that don't, all they know is that there's a man called King Jesus, and he's in Jerusalem. And, and we go to him, and, and in the thousand years, it's an option to, to worship him. I don't know how you could not choose to, um, but it is an option, clearly in Revelation. Now, but that day's coming. The day's coming. We're going to be able to see him. We're going to rule and reign with him. So thankful for that. But Peter says something particularly um, interesting in chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. He said, but the end of all things is at hand. So this is a command for the end time church. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, someone say all things. Have fervent love one for another. I mean, this is, it's almost so obvious, like, it's easy to overlook because it's just so glaringly obvious. Above all things, because we're in the end times, I want you to be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above everything you could possibly do, love each other. For love will cover a multitude of sins. And I believe that this is, uh, I'm not going to get into it, but in reference of Matthew 24 where, where Jesus prophesies and says that uh, abounding offenses will cause the love of many to wax cold. He's saying as these end times approach on us, you have to be intentional to love and overlook offenses. You know something I prophesy? I try to do it every day. Something I prophesy is that I am resilient to offenses. I am swift to believe the best about people. And that's something that pastors poured into me. And I've found that that helps. When I use my words and I tie it to that power and this revelation of understanding that offenses will abound and it's going to be harder to love. And I prophesy that, that I am not easily offended. And I am resilient to offenses, and I am swift to show the love of God. I'm telling you, that really helps. 
there's the, the power of life and death is in our tongue. We have to use our tongue as a wind at our back to love one another. Amen. <clears throat> it's a good time to be closing. My voice is gone. Amen. So that, that's all I have. Did anybody get anything from this lesson tonight? I hope you did. Um, I know I did preparing it. You know, I, I just want us to be the church God has called us to be. This is a loving church. This is a loving church, and I'm very thankful that God put me uh, in this church. And I feel the love of God in this church every time I come. Um, but I believe God is He's calling us to be that catalyst, um, you know, in our circles, you know, there's a lot of people missing tonight, and trust me, I know, with daylight savings and, and everything else. Um, <clears throat> but I believe God wants us to be that catalyst for love. And just remember, every time that you are praying and prophesying and you're embracing faith and expectancy, hear the voice of Paul saying to not forget to follow after love. Don't forget to be intentional to love. And um, with that, I'm going to go ahead and close, Pastor. I'll let you close out. Amen. How many know we can do better? You know, it's, uh, I didn't have any idea what Chris was going to teach tonight. The Lord spoke to me yesterday about this very subject, and I maybe bring it to you Sunday. I don't know. We'll see what the Lord wants to do. But um, I do believe the Lord wants us to be very intentional about loving one another. So easy to just get so self-focused. I was reading, uh, I just, on my iPad, as Chris was going through 1 Corinthians 13, I was looking at the International Standard Version, and it said, love, this is the way I interpret it, it says, love does not only care about itself. I thought, you know, that's so true. Um, love cares about others, and so that's what we need to do. Let's pray, and let's ask God to help us to love the way he loves, and help us to be unified, and help us... Um, you know, if they could do it in the Tower of Babel, what does God want us to do in this generation as the church? But it's only going to come about love, peace, and unity. So let's pray for these things. Father, we ask you in the name of the Lord. Thank you for your word that was mentioned and given to us tonight and taught. Help us, I pray, God, to take steps to uh, purposely, God, love each other in a more powerful way. Help us to be united with peace and with a believing in one another and hoping uh, the best in one another. God, help us unite our minds, our visions, our hearts. Let us be united against a world that's so divided, a world that is coming against the things and the people of God, the world that's trying to shut down every normal Christian principle. But in the midst of that, there's a people that have been called out of darkness and into the marvelous light let us link up arm on arm a heart to heart and let us go forth in this generation as one voice and, and one body we lose your power of unity we lose your power of peace and we lose the love that you showed so clearly you demonstrated let it be evident in all of us let it be evident in this church and let us go forth into a generation that knows nothing of your love and let us be an example to them we lift you up. We love you. We magnify you. We praise you. Go home with each and every one of us and touch those that were not here tonight and let them be anointed as well, God. God, we give you praise and we love you and we thank you for this word tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight. Thank you, Chris. For